This morning's lesson is on how to ruin things. A nice lesson for the morning, is it not? Some of you may think that's a bit of a negative topic for a Sunday homily. However, I assure you at the end of it all, the message will be a very positive one. How to ruin things. If you have a car, which many of you do, and you want to ruin it, the good news is you have several options available to you. For example, you can drain all of the oil out of the crankcase and then attempt to continue driving the car. You probably won't get very far. Another option is that you could slash the tires, smash the windows, and put dirt in the gas tank. That'll certainly do the trick. Or you can just let things go, so to speak. In other words, you can neglect the oil changes and the tune-ups and all the other bits of routine maintenance called for in the owner's manual. Now, it will take a little longer to ruin your car in that way, to be sure, through neglect. But eventually, it will happen. If you own a house and you want to ruin it, once again, you have several options available to you. You can let your teenagers play football in the living room. Or let your three-year-old take his or her finger paint and do a job on the walls. That'll be very effective. You could perhaps smash the furniture, rip the curtains, break all the dishes and glasses in the kitchen. You could turn on the water in the bathroom on the second floor and let it overflow for three or four hours. Believe me, water does a lot of damage. We had a pipe break in the rectory kitchen last year. I know all about how water can ruin a house. Does a heck of a job. Or, once again, you can just let things go. You can avoid painting the house, fixing the roof, cleaning the floors, and doing all the routine maintenance that you need to do to keep a home in good shape. Now, those are things. What about people? How about friendships? We all have friends, do we not? If you want to ruin a friendship, you can do a number of things. You can call your friend on the phone and just tell him off. You can spread false rumors about him. You can cause division in his family. Break up his marriage. That'll do the trick. Or you can simply ignore him and pretend that he doesn't exist. Every friendship has to be nourished by personal contact in some way, on some level. Without that contact, a friendship can very easily weaken and die with the passage of time. I give you these examples today because on this first Sunday of Advent, the focus of our Gospel reading is on the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is a foundational core belief of our Catholic faith. 
We say it in the Creed every Sunday, do we not? We believe that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, will, quote, come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We say it in the middle of the Eucharistic prayer, or we sing it, depending on which Mass we happen to be at. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. As Catholics, we believe that the world, as we now know it, will eventually come to an end. As Hebrews tells us, we do not have here a lasting city. At some unknown time in the future, we don't know when, and it's useless to try to figure out when, because Jesus said you'll never be able to. But at some point in the future, Jesus will come again, not as Savior, but as Judge. And he will put a definitive end to human history. But even if we don't happen to live long enough to see that day, the fact is we will all experience a second coming of Jesus Christ. We'll experience it at the moment we die. And because that moment can literally come at any time, we had a parishioner this week die unexpectedly, totally unexpectedly. That can happen. And because that kind of thing can happen, Jesus urges us in this gospel to be always ready. Here's an interesting thought. In today's second reading from Hebrews 13, it says, It is now the hour for you to wake from sleep. Uh, incidentally, that also applies to Mass. Just in case anybody's still asleep. It's 10.30, you've got to be awake by now, right? Now, he means it in another sense, the author of Hebrews. It is now the hour for you to wake from sleep, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Do you know what? Our salvation is also nearer now, at this moment, than it was when I started my homily a few minutes ago. And it will be nearer at the end of my homily than it is right now. Every second that passes is one second that we come closer to the end, to our personal end, to the Lord's second coming for us. That end, of course, is also supposed to be a new beginning. That's the good news. The glorious beginning of a brand new life, glorious life with Jesus in his kingdom. But getting to that kingdom is not automatic, and Jesus makes that crystal clear in this gospel. Which is precisely why I entitled this homily, How to Ruin Things. Just as it's possible to ruin a car, and a house, and a friendship, so it is also possible for us to ruin our eternal salvation. And believe it or not, my brothers and sisters, we can ruin our salvation in the very same ways that we can ruin those other things I mentioned. I said you can ruin a car by doing things to it, right? You can do a lot of things to it. Take out the oil, slash the tires, break the windows, whatever. But then I said, you can also ruin a car by simply neglecting it. Don't change the oil. Don't do the tune-ups. Don't do the maintenance. I said you can ruin a house in the same two ways. You can ruin a friendship in the same two ways. 
I said all those things for a reason. To make an important parallel with our spiritual lives. Think about it. How does a person ruin his or her salvation? Well, the obvious answer is by doing something really bad. We lose salvation, we lose sanctifying grace after baptism by committing a mortal sin and then never ever repenting of it. But you see, that is only half the story. And this we need to be clear about. We can also ruin our salvation through neglect. And I base that assertion on what Jesus Christ says to us in this gospel. Notice, Jesus starts off here by comparing people who are not ready for his second coming with the people at the time of Noah who were not ready for the great flood. Now, I would have expected Jesus to say that those people back in Noah's time were unprepared because they were doing a lot of bad stuff. They were killing each other, lying and cheating and stealing and committing adultery, and that's why they weren't ready. You know what? That's not what Jesus said. Listen again to his words. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, they did not know until the flood came and carried them all away. So it will also be at the coming of the Son of Man. I ask you, what was so bad about eating? I hope nothing, because I love to eat a lot. <laughs> I don't look it, perhaps. I can put it away. What's so bad about drinking? Yes, drinking alcohol to excess is bad, of course. But we all need water to live, do we not? What's so bad about marrying? I hope nothing, because a lot of you are married. What's so bad about giving someone away in marriage? I've had dads tell me that was the happiest day of their lives. <laughs> Here, buddy, she's all yours. <laughs> Just kidding. What's so bad about those things? The answer is nothing. Those things were, those things are all good. That was not the problem. The problem was, in one word, neglect. What Jesus was saying is that these unprepared men and women were guilty of neglect. They lost their lives in that flood simply because they were going about their daily business, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, while at the same time neglecting the care of their soul. So how do you ruin your salvation? By committing a mortal sin, yes. But also by neglecting your spiritual life. Because when you neglect your spiritual life, you can very easily fall into mortal sin. I have people tell me in confession all the time, Father Ray, I committed that sin so easily. You know, I haven't prayed much lately. Oh, not surprised. 
Let me conclude now by telling you about all the things that people do not neglect during the season of Advent. Number one, they do not neglect shopping, right? Now, they might do it last minute, yes. They may hate doing it. I really don't enjoy shopping. But they do it. They do not neglect cooking and baking. They've just got to bake those Christmas cookies for everybody and their family and all of their friends. By the way, I said this at the other Masses. If you're going to bake cookies for our seminary in Albert, chocolate chip is the way to go, okay? <laughs> yes, he's, he's a cookie monster, I think. But uh, he'll eat anything, but he really likes chocolate chip. I do too, I do too. And there's nothing bad with baking. But people don't neglect it. They don't neglect socializing during this season. They don't neglect decorating, even again, if they don't like to do it. They still do it because, well, it makes everything look nice. And they certainly do not neglect eating and eating and eating. But a lot of people do neglect their souls, don't they? They neglect spending extra time in prayer, perhaps coming to Adoration on a Tuesday here during the season of Advent. They neglect that kind of stuff. They neglect coming to Mass on the Holy Day that falls during these four weeks, the Feast of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception, which incidentally is next Saturday, December 8th. They might even neglect coming to a Sunday Mass if they have a lot of shopping or baking or other important stuff to do. They also neglect the extra opportunities they have to make a good examination of conscience and go to confession. Let's face it, people make extra time for everything and everybody during this holy season of Advent, except Jesus Christ, who just happens to be the reason for the season. Today, as many of you know, is New Year's Day. Not in the world, in the church. Today is the first day of the church's new liturgical year. New Year's Day, traditionally, is a time for resolutions. So let's make a joint resolution today. That's my proposal. Let's all resolve at this Mass not to neglect our spiritual lives during the next four weeks of Advent. And by the grace of God, may that resolution, that good resolution, carry over to the other 48 weeks of the year.